Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Come into this not-so-peaceful but prosperous Kumandra known as the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. My name is Andrew Auger. Thank you for joining us once again. Let's meet my co-host today. He's a real gem of a guy, and I'm not trying to drag in this intro any further. Mr. Nate Lungarini, hello. <laughs> oh, that that's worthy of a fantasy novel there, Drew. <laughs> I, yeah, I liked it, yeah. Uh, which one of the five tribes of Kumandra is he? He certainly isn't heart or spine, Mr. Jake Hensler. Oh, that second one's brutal. Ouch. <laughs> I can handle the heart, but the spine is tough. <laughs> Welcome, guys, to the Middle Seats Podcast. Like I said, the best seat in the house for all things moving and entertainment. If you are just joining us for the first time, our show typically divided into three segments. So I would say today is four uh, based on one of the things we're going to be doing. We have a lobby talk segment where we talk as if we were in the lobby of a movie theater waiting uh, in line for Avatar 7, ready to go into the theater, and we just had a topic we wanted to talk about. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. We have our news segment where we go over the biggest news of the week. Only one item this week, but it's a big one. This week, we have a, I would say, a mini review slash a recap of uh, WandaVision, which of course is Marvel's first streaming service show uh, on Disney+. Plus. It is officially wrapped up at this point. As we record this, we are a few hours away from the beginning of Falcon and Winter Soldier, so we want to wave goodbye to WandaVision before that starts. And then we'll get into our full review, which is of Raya and the Last Dragon. So boys, this is the first Middle Seeds podcast where we are all probably within an hour of each other. I think that's fair to say, right? Close, for sure, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the outlier okay. there, and I would say about an hour. Yeah, I think you're still within an hour, probably. <laughs> I moved to New York City, for those of you who don't know, uh, whoop, whoop. wrapping up my time in Albany. So now uh, you'll be within spinning distance. We can see movies together. Like, Nate and I were already trying to plan a trip to go see Godzilla Kong. Jake, you were your invite got lost in the mail. but I was involved <laughs> in that conversation. <laughs> oh, man. But Brutal. yeah, so kind of a cool little bit of a change if it sounds different. Um, if you hear uh, some coughing or whatever, it's probably the neighbors through the wall or something like that because I've left the serene outdoors of Albany, uh, which, of course, I'm going to miss very much. But it's a new era for the podcast, and we've got some big movies and big stuff to talk about. So anything else before we get going, guys? Let's get to it. Let's do it. Let's jump into our lobby talk segment. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? block before you can make the lobby. So typically we try to be prepared on this podcast and we inform each other of the designated lobby talk topic. Oh, yeah, slow that roll. Two of us are prepared usually every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Jake has had this one in the back pocket I feel like for a few weeks now. I feel like he hinted at it and we were like, "Sorry, but it's not your turn." But he's not told us the lobby talk topic yet. So without further ado, and just like the audience is about to hear it, uh, Jake, you have the floor. We're going to hear it for the first time here. Yeah, anticipation's on. So you know how there are some years where it could really be a toss-up between Best Picture? Like uh, 
like, you know, one year some people really thought it could be Revenant, Big Short, or Spotlight. I always wanted to know how close it really was because we only find out the winner, you know? So if it were up to us, would you guys prefer the Oscars to give out the full rankings of the Best Picture nominees after the voting's done? Yes or no, and why? Ooh. So for me, the first thing I thought of is when, and I, I take it back to sports, which is a direction that the two of you rarely go in, um, <laughs> but it is similar to like the MVP voting at the end of a baseball season or a football season. I think that would be interesting because just like as an analytics deep dive uh, nerd section, Mm -hmm. I would assume this would have to come with the amount of votes that the movie's got. You know what I mean? As out of the designated so or so. I think the way that the Oscar does the balloting makes this interesting too because I think you have to rank them if I'm correct. Correct. Yeah, you pick your choice voting. Yeah, you rank your favorite to least favorite, I believe. And then the least favorite gets bumped and then you revote. Yeah, but I think it it could be interesting in terms of seeing that and seeing – the trends and seeing how certain movies played in certain categories. Are you just saying for best picture? Or are you saying for all the well, categories? I was, I was going to say it started with best picture. I was going to bring up later. How would you feel about all categories? I would, I think I would even be more interested in seeing how the acting categories shake out. You can't just do the top five. I think, I think you need to do who made the top 10 or 15 in the nomination process as well, because I would love to see who missed the short list. Like imagine, Let's just go back to like 2013 for an example. And like Tom Hanks didn't get a nomination for Captain Phillips. I want to know by how many votes he missed. So I think that mm. would be a very interesting. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix for her. I thought you were going to go in that direction. That's another option too. He probably was yeah. in the top 10 shortlist as well. I think just in terms of this would this would make it more of like an analytics game uh, than just anticipating the one singular winner. I, I like it a lot personally. I'd be, uh, yeah, I'd be down for it. I'm. I'm kind of a dated guy too. Back when we were doing the the box office draft challenge, <laughs> I had the spreadsheet oh, yeah, yeah, going yeah. Uh, week to week that. to week with all our money. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I miss I miss that. I hope that comes back. I think we could probably start doing it by the fall. Hopefully, or knock on knock it on my desk. Yeah, but... we'll we'll see what theaters do, right? But yeah, I I would be get game for that just to get the data. I'm worried that with ranked choice voting. Like the data just isn't as clear cut as you get the most votes you win because it matters on where the votes were received. Like the third uh, most popular movie might be almost everyone's universal third movie, but first and second are just wildly different picks. Mm -hmm. And just looking at a spreadsheet that might not be apparent and you'll be like, wait, why didn't the third place movie win the most if they had the most votes because it matters for that category so and then the the internet would bully the oscars (laughs) exactly that's what i was about to get to it's just like when you have data that's a little hard to read at a glance that gets misconstrued Mm. in social media tweets go off on it yeah it's just like (laughs) every single conversation you have to have has to start with the preface of like this is According to the data, blah, 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 blah. Read here first. It's this whole little asterisk here. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Required reading. That's what I was going to worry, too. I think that's an interesting point because it opens up this kind of slippery slope where you're being transparent with how the voting is done. But if people are loud enough, and we've seen plenty of times not to bring up the Snyder Cut again, not to bring up Sonic the Hedgehog again, but 
people feel a certain way about something on the internet and they talk loud enough about it that things do get changed. And if people see these numbers and this data and they don't understand how it works because they don't like read, they <laughs> will think about making changes. Like remember that horrible, in my opinion, that horrible most popular film thing they were gonna do a couple of years ago? That immediately right. enters back <laughs> into the fold if Black Panther, you know, you see the amount of votes that Black Panther got compared to something like Roma. Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian, well, people like Bohemian Rhapsody. They actually probably would, the general audiences liked it, so they probably would lobby for it. So people will see the data and construe it their own ways, and then it might lead to something else. This is just a, I think this is just a devil's advocate drawback. I still like the idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think for the most part I like the idea. And I think the the biggest factor there is that the damage is already done. When the data is right. released, the winner's released already. So you can't, like, retroactively go back and say, oh, Bohemian Rhapsody was supposed to get Best Picture. Look at the look at the spreadsheet here. <laughs> you can't do that. The award's already been given out. Yeah, that was I would my... love to... Go for it. You haven't talked at all in your own lobby talk. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I, I, I basically did a... Uh... I basically did what you guys were saying. I've always thought this. I always thought it would be super interesting to see what really placed where. Like, imagine Joker was second behind Parasite ahead of 1917. People would be like, oh my goodness, you know, how interesting. And maybe studios would go, wow, we'll make more movies like that or we won't. And it could be bad or good, but I think there is a lot of interesting data to be found if they decided to do that. And my B part was they could change the way they run the Oscars. Like, you know how every year they, you know, they preview the eight nominees or nine nominees, whatever it is, before the actual rewards, they just give them like a two-minute clip. What if they mm -hmm. announced like, you know, not last place yet, but like, all right, these were the five that were not winners and now we have the bottom three in contention. You know, people might want to really stick around like, oh, my favorite's still in contention. That's an interesting thought. Interesting. I, you know what I just flashed in my mind that I hated that I thought about? And <laughs> oh no, I, I actually can't believe the Oscars haven't experimented with this before. I'm, I am shocked there's no sort of like fan voting like American Idol esque voting. <laughs> yeah, honestly. it'd be like Quiplash. Be part of the yeah. audience vote. <laughs> yeah, text one eight hundred Wakanda if you want Black Panther to win Best Picture. Right. <laughs> Only cost five ninety nine per text. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> standard standard text messaging rates and data apply no matter how expensive said things are. I will say this. If we're gonna do the best picture shortlist, I would want them to like show like the top 35 because I would love to see like somebody voted for the prom for best picture. Are you kidding me? And then that person <laughs> needs to be exposed. And it's probably James Corden, so. <laughs> or like Palm Springs just missed. What? We almost got a Palm Springs best picture nominee? Like Yeah, so like things like that would make it interesting. Uh this is a good topic. I hope I hope they consider doing so. Like, did you see this from like a Twitter prompt or is this just something you thought up? No, I have original thoughts. I, I, wasn't, I was not <laughs> that. that was not what I was trying to do. I get a lot of my ideas from Twitter too. Yeah. No, okay. I've always thought this would be interesting if they decided to implement. I just, I guess I never brought it up to you guys, but now that the Oscars are here, I figured it's a good time. So speaking of the Oscars, let's get into our news segment. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So we're not going to get very analytical because, uh, you know, the Oscars aren't in this Moneyball phase that Jake wants them to be in where they have all the statistics and they, they kind of go with the old school baseball archaic way of ranking how movies got love. So 
The nominations for the awards for the 93rd annual show, which of course is taking place in late April because of COVID, uh, were announced early in a morning by Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra, a uh, lovely husband and wife duo. Nick Jonas dressed up like the actual Oscar in just an absolutely <laughs> blinding at 7 a.m. yellow suit. So I'll go through the Best Picture nominations and go over how many nominees they each got. It's a remarkably balanced field, which is something we don't really see often. So we've got the, the Father, which got six nominations. We have Judas and the Black Messiah, which we reviewed on the show. That got six nods. Mank got ten. Minari got six. Nomadland, which we reviewed last episode, got six. Promising Young Woman, which I adore, got five. Sound of Metal got six. Another great movie. And The Trial of Chicago 7 got six. So a lot of parody. A lot of the times you'll see like ten nominees here, eight here, three here. Not the case this year because I think it has to do with the limited amount of options probably. But it's good to see that the good movies are getting rewarded. I, I like all these movies, personally, at least. Two women in the Best Director category for the first time, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman and Chloe Zhao uh, for Nomadland, which, again, we talked about last week Huge. or last episode. Um, a surprise Best Director nomination for Thomas Vinterberg, uh, who directed Another Round, which is a fantastic foreign film, if you haven't seen it already. I believe it's Danish. stars Madden Mickelson. It's about uh, binge drinking. It's really great. Uh, that, of course, is up for Best International Feature, but he kind of snubbed and got Aaron Sorkin out of the way. Uh, a lot of good Asian representation. Lee Isaac Chung, uh, director of Minari, nominated. Uh, Riz Ahmed, nominated for Sound of Metal. Steven Yun, nominated for Minari. And uh, this one I'm going to butcher. Yoon Young Jung, uh, who plays the grandmother in Minari, also nominated in Best Supporting Actress. And then the only other surprise I want to mention before we go into... Your general thoughts, gentlemen. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield got a nomination for Judas and the Black Messiah. Daniel Kaluuya has been getting nominations throughout the entire circuit, but Lakeith really has not gotten a lot of love. He got a nomination in the Best Supporting Actor category, which if you listen to our episode, uh, I don't know if we tremendously agree with that designation, but again, <laughs> things to discuss here. We'll get there. Nate, you're not the biggest Oscar guy in the world, but it's always good to like go through these, and it kind of provides like a homework sheet if you haven't seen some of the movies so what did you think mm -hmm. of this list how many have you seen anything that stands out to you yeah so i i have a lot more homework than i expected at this point in the year because i'm like it's 2020 movies like nothing came out this year right so i'm i'm good <laughs> and, we thought we'd get a pass yeah so i've only seen three out of the eight best picture nominees so far which is pretty abysmal for this stage in the game for me i got some homework to do what's the third ad besides the two we reviewed trial the chicago seven Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been really itching to see Sound of Metal for a while, and it's just been one of those things where, oh, I finally have movie night time, but I got to see this instead kind of thing. It's been like on that back burner stage for way too long. I got to get my butt to that one. And then I, I clearly have to see Mank because 10 nominations is nothing to scoff at. <laughs> but that's interesting because Sisson Kane is still only a three out of five. Um, actually... Have both of you guys seen Mank? Yes. I watched it the, yesterday, actually. Yeah. Okay. So can you tell the general audience, myself included, if Citizen Kane is a prerequisite to seeing the movie? <laughs> I don't think you have to have seen it, but it, it helps yeah. for sure. Like, I okay. think both of us, <laughs> at least I did, I had never seen Citizen Kane until a couple of weeks before Mank. So I watched it. It's not really about the substance specifically of Citizen Kane. It's about the making of Citizen Kane. But mm. 
thematically, you're going to get more out of it if you understand what happens in that movie because of the parallels they're trying to draw between Orson Welles and the character and Herman Mankiewicz, who is writing the story. So, I mean, it helps, but you don't absolutely have to, I guess. Yeah, I basically ditto that. Um, I saw Citizen Kane for the first time when I found out Mank was going to be released in December. Uh, I, I thought Citizen Kane was great. Very interesting. Like, I, I think I saw it college? Like, maybe freshman year? Most <laughs> film classes make you watch it. I'm surprised I didn't have to. Ex- yeah, Very same. interesting. I've, I'm not on that three out of five train. I loved it, personally. But so that's I, a whole different discussion. I thought it held up as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was right with you there, Nate. When the nominations came out, I only saw three out of the eight Best Picture nominees. Um, I since watched Mank, and I watched another round, like Andrew said, got a Best Directing nominee. So I've seen the two that we reviewed, and then Mank and The Father. And I would say, of those four, Mank is my least favorite. They were still decent. I was just a little underwhelmed by it, truthfully. Uh, I really liked Another Round. Really, really fun. I think a lot of people... It's it's a shame foreign films get a little pushback because of subtitles. It's really, really good. I liked it a lot. I'd recommend and that for anybody listening. Nobody can say listening. that after Parasite winning last year. Yeah, 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 very true. Very, very true. They usually nominate one rogue foreign director, I feel like. Like, they've done it in the past with... Uh... Powell Pawlowski uh, for Cold War and yeah, I actually I saw that one. In there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Nate. I have a lot of homework to do. I have to watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which got uh, two acting nominations for Mr. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, a posthumous Oscar nomination, and mm. Viola Davis. I really want to watch that. It's a great one. Yeah, I've heard so many good things. That's another one that was not a Best Picture nominee. I want to see and. I know it only got like one or two nominations. I still want to see, um, what is it called? One Night in Miami. Oh, I actually did see that one. Yeah. I want to see that as well. Those are the two that I think were quote unquote snubbed the most. Those are probably the last two okay. out that didn't get the best picture. Ma Rainey was the only one that surprised me. Gotcha. There was more love here for movies like The Father and Sound of Metal. Pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised by that um, because those are both terrific movies. I thought they were going to get a few here and there. Like I thought Riz would be nominated. And in the father's case, I thought it would definitely get acting nominations for Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. But to get the full best picture support thrown behind it was a big deal. Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami are the big snubs from the best picture category. But I will say this. I think I've seen all of them. Big shock, I know. Uh, I would agree with the the assessment that Mank is the weakest, and I still would give it a plush recliner. Like, I think this is a very strong group of movies. Um, I usually have, like, one or two outliers where I'm like, really? That got nominated? Like, of course, it's been Bohemian Rhapsody, and depending on how you feel about a Joker um, in the past. (laughs) But, like, this year, I don't have any qualms. Like, these are all 8 out of 10 movies for me, and one, two three, four of them are nine out of 10 movies for me. So I'm totally okay with the love being spread. Uh, I will say that there were some some surprises in some of the other categories. Like Nate, a couple weeks ago, came to us and he was like, Nate gets to vote on the uh, WGAs. And he was like, why are they sending me Borat? And I was like, well, the original Borat got nominated for screenplay, even though you don't think of it that way. And sure enough, this one got adapted screenplay. Yeah, it did. Maria Bakalova, who has been pretty much a lock for supporting actress nomination for a while now. She got a nod as well. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff spread throughout. Are you allowed to tell us what your favorite of the Best Picture nominees are? Or are you holding that for information for now? No, I think it's fine because I've I've basically spoiled it on a pot on a past pod. My favorite is Promising Young Woman. Okay, that's what I thought. That one really hit me. It's such a unique movie and it's emotional and it's funny and it's really it's really messed up. It's a good really strong movie. I hope she wins Best Actress, Carrie Mulligan. 
absolutely recommend that one. Sound of Metal is fantastic too. Judas, we've of course talked about. The Father is really upsetting. Like I really, really like The Father. I thought that was great. And mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins was like, like mind-blowingly good in my opinion. Let's wrap it with this. What do you think is going to win? Let's talk about it right now. Because, I mean, we've talked about it sparingly in the past two podcasts with the movies we reviewed. If you had to put money right now, and I know you guys don't track this, but what is your what do you think it'll be? Um, if you ask me right now before any of the Guild Awards, I would say based on Oscar politics, like what got all the Best Picture nominees, or like, you know, the big ones, editing, actor, director, stuff like that, I would say Nomadland right now, but... A lot of them got nominated for similar stuff, so it's really hard to say. But I would say Nomadland if I'm leaning toward one. There's so much parody. Nate, I know you leaned in a different direction when we talked about it. Yeah. Again, I'm only going really off of what I've seen and what I've heard. I feel like Manx's your red herring. It gets all the nominations, but it isn't going to win. Same way yeah, like yeah. The Post a couple years back got a yeah. million nominations and didn't win anything. Manx will go like three for ten. Right. Yeah. So just off of that, I feel like Trial of Chicago 7 is kind of like my dark horse candidate to win that I feel like has a good oh. payout if I put money on that one. I would agree. <laughs> good performances, good uh, screenplay, and topical to today's politics. I think that checks a lot of what makes for a good Oscar contender. Cool. I like it. Yeah, I think Trial is probably, in my mind, the second place. I think it comes down to Nomad Land. Trial of Chicago 7, and then maybe... I don't know how Minari has latched on through the season is my thing. Because for me, I could totally see them embracing another Asian representation story, especially in a year where Asian representation got a lot of love in some of the other categories. Uh, yeah. But I think I think Nomadland kind of fills that quote-unquote quota. That sounds bad to say. But Chloe Zhao, I mean, it's not like her direction didn't doesn't deserve it. It's just... it. it they kill two birds with one stone by giving the award to a woman and an Asian woman and also awarding her movie in general. I could also see a split. We've talked about this a little bit before where she wins Best Director and Trials Chicago 7 wins Best Picture. The only movie I would definitely say in my mind is probably not going to win Best Picture is Sound of Metal. I think I could see a path for any of these other ones. Who knows? Jake's right. We have to wait for the PGA winner because that's going to be a big indicator. It always is. Well, what's, what's your official prediction? I'm going with Nomadland. You are? Okay. Yeah, if I were to rank my top three in what I think it's going to be, not my personal choice, I think it's going to be Nomadland, then Trial Chicago 7, and then I'll go Minari. I don't know for sure, though. I mean, Interesting. again, there's still stuff to play out. We'll track it as we go along. Anything else? Um, I would just, I agree with Nate that Mank is probably going to be the red herring where it gets nominated for a bunch and then doesn't end up winning the big ones. But ever so slightly, you never know. Hollywood likes movies about them. So you Especially never black know. black and white Hollywood yeah, movies about they them. they do. They tend to eat that up. Case in point, the artist, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be one of the ones where it got a bunch of nominations and then it gets maybe set design and stuff like that. It's a good candidate for cinematography and also probably score. It is an incredibly well-made movie that just is a little bit dry story. Yeah. And, you know, and that's okay. I, I enjoyed it. David Fincher, no surprise, no secret, my favorite director. I hope this isn't the movie that he gets, like, tons of love for. And then we have to look back <laughs> at his career, and it's like, really? He won everything for that? It's not his weakest movie, but it's not his best. You know what I mean? Like, right, yeah, yeah. Retroactively give the awards there. to Gone Girl and Social Network. Okay. 93rd Oscars, <laughs> I believe April 25th is the date. Uh, it's yep, late yep. April. I know that for sure. Look at that. Nailed it. Don't even have it up right now. 
Uh, for something that will <laughs> definitely be nominated for Emmys, and this is to trigger all the DC fanboys, let's talk about WandaVision <laughs> a little bit. Wanda. We are an unusual couple. Oh, I don't think that was ever in question. Who are you? I don't know. I think something's wrong here. Our home. Then let's fight for it. WandaVision wrapped up at the beginning of March. It was a nine-episode run, which is an unusual number. A lot of new and old faces to the MCU. It's their first Disney Plus show. Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany playing Wanda and Vision, of course. Uh, Catherine Hahn joining the cast. Tiana Paris as uh, Monica Rambeau, the uh, daughter of Maria Rambeau, who's like Captain Marvel's best friend. Randall Park back as Jimmy Woo, who of course made his debut in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Kat Dennings back as Darcy Lewis, who is from the Thor movies. Um, and then some other little sprinkled in surprises, some guest appearances that play various amounts of roles. I think we should make this a spoiler talk. I don't think we need to even split it up because it's been a couple of weeks now. Yeah, and if you're on Twitter, it's spoiled for you already, so. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I think we, if we're going to talk about it comprehensively, we need to discuss spoilers. I won't go into it until we get into our main thoughts here. Basically, the premise is Wanda and Vision are playing out sitcoms of different eras. Why? We have no idea. They are residing in the town of Westview, New Jersey, which, shout out New Jersey. Whatever. Fist pump. Yeah, get out of here. For New You're Jersey. a New Yorker now. You have to hate New Jersey. I, I mean, this wasn't exactly even a good portrayal of New Jersey, which... <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, some may say there is no good portrayals of New Jersey, which is fine. Whatever. Anyway, we don't know what's going on. It's a lot of mystery at the beginning, and as more and more secrets become unveiled, more and more answers are given to the audience, there were varying levels of impact. This was the biggest show on TV in January and February and March, quote-unquote, on TV. But if you were to quantify right. the ratings, this this was a big hit. Um, and it's a very good sign for Marvel as they pivot towards more traditional fare with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is launching at the time of this recording tomorrow. Uh, by the time you hear this, at least episode one will be out, maybe even episode two. But let's get into this a little bit. What did you guys think generally of WandaVision? Did it live up to the hype? What were your expectations going into it? Did you like how it wrapped up? It's a lot of questions. So Jake, just take it in whatever direction you want sure i mean as far as mcu goes starting with iron man in 08 they have pretty much zero misses i mean all box office success and general no critical flops either so i mean very impressive but as far as a tv debut uh debut goes i was a little unsure of how they would do i know it's still the same crew but you just kind of never know so for me i was excited for wandavision but i wasn't like hyped for wandavision i was obviously going to watch it and I was pleasantly surprised. I liked it more than I was expecting. I don't think it was perfect. I think they could have handled some side characters better, which I guess, can I, can we, we're talking spoilers? I'm good to go. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. I, I think, think they good. should have handled Quicksilver better personally. Um, I hope he comes back. I hope they do more with him. But as far as what we see from him now, I was left a little disappointed at wanting more. We should specify played by Evan Peters. Um, yes. Who, of course, played him in the Fox series. Aaron Taylor Johnson plays him in the MCU officially. Right. We know that they're trying to plan some kind of multiverse in some way that seemed like an introduction, and then he's left as just kind of more of a, a joke and a Wanda fantasy. So I was hoping for more there. 
But I would say as far as positives, Marvel is, I would say, outstanding at making us love the characters that they're focusing on. I mean, Wanda and Vision mm. were just introduced in Age of Ultron, and they were never at the forefront. They finally get their forefront, and everybody loves these characters now. If you didn't before, you do now. They were just both given great arcs and great scenes together, handling, you know, Wanda's trauma and, the, you know, the end of their relationship and all her hopes and dreams and lack thereof. I was just so impressed with all of that. I think their issues are off to the side, but their main focus on Wanda and Vision was done so well. I was really, really impressed with that. Yeah, and that's kind of where we get into intent versus speculation because, Nate, a lot of the series was about people's theories of what was happening and stuff like that, where (laughs) in the end, for me, it was very much just trying to be an expansion of character while also setting things up for the future. So it's a matter of what you were looking for. Nate, did you get out of it what you wanted? Yeah, I think for the most part I did. Um, In terms of the show as a whole, you can literally just press Control-C and Control-V over from Jake's comments to mine because (laughs) (laughs) Wanda and Vision were awesome. I loved their arcs. Um, I cared about them as characters. Paul Bettany absolutely slayed it for me. He's, He's He was my personal fave out of there, but nothing against Elizabeth Olsen. She did amazing as well, but I just really like Paul Bettany. <laughs> um, but yeah, all the side characters were just poorly used or weren't as satisfying as the rest of it. And I think that does say a lot to what you were hinting at there, Drew, is that this is the first time that Marvel's had to tell a story, a singular story, over a long period of time, which gave fans so much time to speculate on every little detail and then when the mystery unraveled over the course of those nine episodes and it kind of tapered off into simple terms the fans were just like wait but we have all this lists we have all these theories and it's just nothing and people were disappointed by it because they had all the time to hype themselves up into something more when marvel's i think for the most part just trying to tell a good story. We should note that the stars of the show kind of put people in a tizzy a little bit, like Paul Bettany very clearly trolling when saying that they were going to have like a big guest star that he always wanted to work with, and then it turns out to be himself. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth <laughs> that was Olsen, a dick move. <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen got kind of misquoted a little bit where she kind of she referenced a Luke Skywalker-esque cameo, and I'm assuming that was supposed to be Evan Peters. I think the the context of what she said was warped a little bit by like the people magazine headline makers um but still i can i can understand people getting a little upset mm-hmm. I, i'm kind of a combo there like i like yes that's misleading and that's not fair but i also just think that's where the internet is dangerous everybody got so far down their own rabbit holes and then got mad when they didn't work out you know and we've talked about this ad nauseum not on mic but it's a difference between your expectations versus the show's intent like Right. Did you dislike the show or were you mad at the show because you didn't get what you wanted or were you right. mad at the show because you didn't like the choices that they were intentionally got trying to go for? And I think I think we all agree that we feel that way about certain aspects in the side in terms of what they did with Monica Rambo or how they underutilized her or how they treated the Evan Peters cameo, which amounts to just a dick joke by the end. His name's Ralph Boner. 
Uh, yeah, I was like, come on, guys. <laughs> so I, a lot of that stuff, a lot of that stuff, by the way, third time now the MCU has done a fake out like that. And I really liked the first two times. Of course, the most famous slash infamous one being the Mandarin reveal. I love that reveal from Iron Man 3 where Ben Kingsley's just an actor. I like Iron Man 3. That's fun. I do, I do too. <laughs> um, and then you've also got kind of similarly Spider-Man Far From Home where it's not Mysterio from a different world. It's Mysterio the scorned Stark employee. I really like that as well. This time around, it just felt like it was just a tease to be a tease. Like, it's just stunt casting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it didn't make any sense for the characterization there. It's literally there just to troll the fans. Yeah. A lot of fandom, especially in TV shows, <laughs> um, I feel, have been turned off to subverting expectations after the Game of Thrones fiasco, which did not stick its landing. <laughs> so when you have something like this, I feel like Everyone's just a little trigger happy here. <laughs> People are still in their feelings about Game of Thrones. I see it on my Twitter timeline at least once a week. Like, you remember when they uh, made made Bran the king? Oh, God, so stupid. Right. <laughs> That's a whole different discussion. But people are still in their feelings about that. And they're afraid of being scorned. You're absolutely right about that. I want to kind of touch on, which we didn't go into as much. We talked a lot about the character stuff, but we didn't talk about the style. Directed by Matt Shackman. Um, each episode looking so different and pulling off the homages to the different eras. Uh, and I really liked how they made it, by the way, a story choice that it was these sitcoms. Like, they rooted into Wanda's mm. past. Yeah, that was fun. Well, I wouldn't call it fun. It's we from know her. what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah, just, like, Mr. The, Nitpicky over there. No, I'm just saying it's like from her family getting bombed, so... I, <laughs> well, yeah, that that sucks, but the style's fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I... But I think Matt Shackman did an outstanding job, and, and uh, kudos also to... The Lopez's, uh, who have been nominated many times for writing music for Book of Mormon, awards for Frozen, basically writing these different theme songs for this these different eras. I thought that was really effective. Oh, yeah. Clearly, the attention to detail was there, and I really appreciated the style. I really appreciated all the performances. We haven't even talked about Catherine Hahn yet, who is a chillingly fun villain. Oh, I'm so glad she's alive because I want her to come back with a bigger budget and like movie form. Yeah, even. right. That'd be yeah. so great. Bring her back in the Hannibal Lecter-esque role. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I know it's another villain who's just kind of lusting for power a little bit, but I liked her and her acting. And I liked the way that Wanda figured out a way to defeat her. I thought that was actually kind of clever. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I, I was okay with the generic lust for power because Han really relishes the fact that this character is evil just for the sake of evil. Not everybody can pull that off. Loki is semi-similar to that. You know what I mean? Hiddleston mm -hmm. does that really well with him. I got a lot of vibes of that. But I think she, especially in the last few episodes, is so integral to the to the success of the show. I would say that I don't think the reveal was all that surprising. Um, but again, that is... I don't know if we had the internet, if the show aired 25 years ago, we would have been able to call <laughs> it so easily because I don't know who Agatha Harkness is off the top of my head. Right. Yeah, like, people were calling that from episode one. So, like... The show took six episodes to reveal that to us, <laughs> right. but the internet figured that out episode one, and that's why the layers of investigation just got so high. It's just like, all right, the show clearly knows that I'm ready to move on from Agatha Harkness, right? No. <laughs> you got five episodes to go, Brady. Slow your roll. That's the thing. Like, also, <laughs> just how people can take promos and clips and snip them and put pictures on the internet like yeah this was called so early like in episode three when they first introduced monica and they are putting up the headshots of the people from westview and saying what their real identities are and then they have agatha's photo off to the side with like a question mark next to it like well okay 
Like, obviously, there's something mythical going on there. You know what I mean? And that's something you might not have picked up on if you were just watching week to week. Yeah, I try to avoid a lot of the conspiracy spoiler stuff on Twitter. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but I really try not to get wrapped up in it for the reasons that we've been talking about. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it, you know, the one that I kept seeing was Mephisto. It's her husband. It's the devil. <laughs> yeah. That was not, not true either. I but. saw Brian Cranston was playing Mephisto as a reference to the whole thing. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> Um, let's do like a final thought thing. Nate, final thoughts on WandaVision. Yeah, I enjoyed the ride. Um, I really liked the mystery that they built up over the course of the first five, six episodes or so. And it's a shame that it didn't really stick the landing with me. I thought the, the final episode was a little weak. It felt almost Thor 2-y at certain points with some crappy dialogue, some unfinished arcs, and a weird CGI fight. That was all right for a TV show, but I also have Marvel size expectations, you know? <laughs> they spent $200 million on it, so they don't have that excuse, <laughs> wow. really. I mean, yeah. So at the end of the day, I enjoyed it. I'm glad that Marvel did something different, even if it kind of ended in a similar vein that its other projects do. And I'm really excited for future Marvel shows at the end of the day. So it was a thumbs up for me. Not two, but a good solid thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, similar. I liked it, um, I thought it was really good start to finish and kind of like Nate was saying I think it was important for them to get this excitement and this intrigue going because it was their first TV show and their first one on Disney Plus and now people are going to be more interested in their shows to follow if they didn't land this one I think people might have been a little skeptical but they landed it now they got Winter Soldier coming out they got Hawkeye and Loki coming out and I will say another thing I think they're so good at is setting up the future while also accomplishing the present so they accomplished these two characters' arcs for what it needed to be, and then they set up Wanda's future with the ending and, you know, going into Doctor Strange and bringing his name in. Like, it's hard enough to make a movie. It is also really hard to set up another one, and they're just consistently doing that successfully. So I'm very impressed with them overall, and I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I think I will push back a little bit on something Nate said a tiny bit where he's talking about uh, incomplete arcs, and the big thing for me is that Marvel has kind of earned the right to not completely wrap up arcs because it feels like this is the jumping off point for the next thread of stories. Now, obviously, you're you're talking about different arcs of different characters, like probably Monica Rambo's arc, and just yeah. even the, how the Hay, how the Hayward thing wraps up. And I and I get having issues with that, but I think that's what makes the MCU unique is that it's a long continuing story, and I think that's what makes the show unique is that it is self-contained, but it's also a piece of a puzzle uh, in a way that I'm sure Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki will also be as we get to the next ones on tap. I really like this show a lot. I would echo pretty much everything. It wasn't as compelling of an ending as I wanted, but I found it definitely emotionally resonant in how it deepens what Wanda and Vision have gone through and how it uses trauma as a through line for all of its characters. Like even talking about Monica losing... uh, her mom while being blipped, which by the way, that was an awesome scene where she comes back and rematerializes after being yeah. blipped. I just think it's a good entertaining show with a little bit of emotion to kick. If it were a movie, I'd probably put it about probably in the middle tier of MCU movies around Spider-Man Homecoming, Iron Man 3. That's fair. So really solid. I would agree. Thumbs up. Recommend it. If you have not watched it, we just spoiled the shit out of it. So you're going to have to. <laughs> Sorry about that. But um, that'll do it as we move into our feature review of Raya and the Last Dragon. Let's catch you up. 
My name is Raya. My daughter. I believe our people can come together again, but someone has to take the first step. We must find the last dragon. I wish to join this fellowship of butt kickery. We really need your help. Ah, I'm gonna be real with you. I'm not like the best dragon. Uh, we're doomed. You and the dragon are coming with me. Hmm, my sword here says we're not. The world's broken. Maybe it's broken because you don't trust anyone. Raya and the Last Dragon was directed by Don Hall, who is best known for working with Disney Animation for Winnie the Pooh and Big Hero 6. Uh, also co-directed by Carlos Estrada, who was the person behind a very underrated movie from 2018 called Blind Spotting with Debbie Diggs. Uh, absolutely recommend that if you have not seen it. This is going to be a complicated movie to kind of sum up quickly. I'll go into as general of a synopsis as possible, and then we can get into the mythology of this, because this is Disney's first original movie, I believe, since Moana uh, in 2016, which is very exciting in its own. It's nice to see Disney back to original work. We've reviewed two of their sequels yeah. on this podcast uh, with Ralph Breaks the Internet and Frozen 2, and now we get into Raya here. Kelly Marie Tran, of course, known for playing Rose in The Last Jedi and sort of playing Rose in The Rise of Skywalker, plays Raya. Um, she is the protector of something called the Dragon Gem uh, in this community called Heart. Uh, there are different communities throughout the entirety of this land, uh, which was once called Kumandra. It was this peaceful land, and then humans started fighting each other. Uh, and now they are being threatened because all of the dragons that used to protect them are gone. So basically, something happens. The dragon gem breaks. Pieces of it spread throughout uh, the land, and Raya needs to basically go on a quest to reunite the pieces, find the last dragon, Sisu, who was the one that created the dragon gem, voiced by Aquafina. Uh, and basically puts together a ragtag team to save the world and to save all the people that have been turned to stone. That's the most simple way I can put it. I got a lot of, and you two are the ones that finished the show, so I shouldn't even be have the nerve to reference it, but I got a lot of Avatar The Last Airbender vibes from this movie uh, in <laughs> terms of myth mythology and backstory and relationship between characters. This is a very mature Disney movie. It's still got its silly jokes and stuff like that. It's still got things for kids, but this is a very interesting experiment for the studio um there were rumors that there was a cut of this that was as intense as a possible pg-13 and an r and i definitely can see that because I'd it like is very serious it is a very epic story and it is a very unique story that still operates within the disney formula so let's kind of get into it here nate what did you think of raya and the last dragon yeah i think for the most part i i liked it yes it is very similar to Avatar's world building, where it was one nation that divided into different parts. In Avatar, it was four for the four elephants. Now we have five parts for five different sections of a dragon. As Raya's going from place to place, kind of picking up a party member along the way, she's learning one new thing about the world around her and and going on her merry quest. Um, I, I very much like the world building I think my only complaint, it's a little, it almost feels a little bit rushed <laughs> and I'm not going to compare it to the last airbender movie, but there's a reason that didn't work. And that's because it jumped from uh, saga to saga. This one does feel a little bit rushed too. Cause there's a lot of exposition at the beginning and you have five kingdoms to go through. So there's, there's a lot to do in this story, but 
this movie definitely pulls it off much better than the Avatar movie did in two hours, which I definitely appreciate it for. And I'll just get it out of the way now. The movie is gorgeous. <laughs> Absolutely stunning CGI work. Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, we said it during Soul. I think we say it every time Disney does a movie, whether it's Pixar or their animation studios here. They are just nailing landscapes. They're nailing fur. They're nailing hair. It's insane what these guys are doing with um, their computer artistry here. Even as a technical, it's a must-see just for that. <laughs> just so you can see how they handle water in this movie. It's ridiculous. <laughs> there are a lot of interesting points in there. In the past tradition of Disney animated show uh, movies, and Jake, you can jump in in a second, a lot of these movies would get like spin-off shows afterwards, and I think this is one that would actually lend itself really well to that, to explore the world and not feel as contained to this 90 minutes like you're saying, Nate. Yeah. Ditto some of what Nate is saying. It's obviously, it looks really, really good. It looks better than really good. It looks great. It's really fun, and I think it's well-paced. Like, you know, from the beginning, their intro, they throw you into the journey. You have the journey, blah, blah, blah. I think that's all really well-paced. I think it's a good story. I think it's a really well-layered story. Like, there's more to it than then, you know, there's a character, there's an objective, there's a villain. They have to accomplish that objective. There's a little more to it than that, which I liked as well. Um, like you guys said, the mythology and the lands divided into each section. I liked all that. The fantasy roots. Um, and I'm really enjoying these strong, independent princess tales that they focus on, like in Moana, um, and even Frozen a little bit. Like the goal is really the growth of the character, and that's what they're focusing on. And I'm I'm really enjoying that. I think they're nailing that. In terms of characters, I really liked Raya and Namari. I think is the name, mm. voiced by Gemma Chan. Yes, I think they're they're written well, and I think Namari gets a I wouldn't say complicated arc, but more layered and complex arc than normal side characters would get. Not a traditional villain at all. Right, yeah, exactly. And I, I really, that's an aspect I really, really liked about this movie. Um, so the the Druin virus thing, uh, I like that there's no set villain except that that's just wreaking havoc on the land and then everybody's just trying to survive. Like, humanity fell apart because of their actions and now they're just trying to survive. Um, so there's a lot of stuff I like about this, but I'm kind of with Nail a little bit in that as great as the world building was, I kind of wanted more. They just, they don't spend a lot of time in any one place. And that's something about movies that I, I love. I love when we can get a feel for these worlds. And I was honestly hoping for more. And I guess that's like a backhanded compliment where, but it's a good thing. I wanted more and I'm, I'm mad that we didn't. And mm -hmm. I would say that was a bit of an issue. Well, let me put both yeah. of you on the spot right here because. Here we go. What this, what this would take is the movie to be two hours. I'm okay with that. It's, I mean, it's already an hour 45. I can add an extra 15. W would you guys come back to me and be like, this is too long? No. I, For I, two I, hours? I don't think so. Okay. I know it's an animated kids movie, so you can't really go too much animated over two. Animated movies don't usually go over 140, to be honest. Like, they rarely do. Well, anyway, I mean, I know they're usually below two, but I'd be okay with an extra 10 minutes for this to nail the world building and give us some more of that beautiful graphics. But again, it's a minor flaw. It's not anything huge. I don't think there's are there are any glaring flaws in this movie, personally. <laughs> right, and I think something you guys are touching on a little bit here is that you really liked what you got in terms of the world building, and you want to see more. And it's like this this almost sets itself up for a sequel and a further exploration. And we don't yeah. say that a lot about Disney movies. I think I'm the high man here. I, this movie in, kicked intense amounts of ass for me. Well. It's probably a top five to ten Disney movie, and I feel confident saying that after having seen it a second time. The thing that I want to touch on with the animations, 
the animation is two things. Uh, it is diverse in the sweeping looks of the landscapes, uh, which each one is more stunning than the next. How the difference between the Kingdom of Tail versus the Kingdom of Spine and the Kingdom of Heart, how they all look so different. And it's mm -hmm. edited together and it moves with the dynamicism of like a martial arts epic, both in the fights and the way that the... Uh, like some of the side characters move, like the little baby con artist. The way the choreography was great together. too. Yes, phenomenal. Yeah. For me, the world building did enough. Uh, I already, I already felt that there was like a lot of exposition, and I'm kind of glad that they didn't go even further with that. And for me, what was most effective was the story and the specificity of the message, which Disney has been doing really well with lately. It's about the perils of trust and why trust is crucial because. Broken trust is what led to this problem in the first place. Uh, it's, it's, it's about the putting aside differences and working together. And that's the most simple way to say that. But in the way that it goes about that is so nuanced and surprisingly emotionally intense for me. I found a lot of the character writing to be really strong. You guys kind of hinted on the Namari raya dichotomy. Yeah, that's like that's the core of the movie there, easy. Yeah. All of the stuff is outstanding in terms of that. They don't make Namari a villain, but they don't make Raya perfect either. She is very flawed, uh, and I stan a complex heroine, so I'm very much into that. <laughs> uh, I thought Aquafina did a really nice job here in terms of she brought her shtick, yes, but I also felt she found an emotional core for the Sisu character. Um, action design is terrific. James Newton Howard's score is amazing. Like, so, so good in so many different moments. Elevates the story. Yeah, I, I kind of, I didn't have any really huge major problems with it. I love this movie. Um, I just found it so sweeping and epic and equally parts engaging, adventurous, and surprisingly touching. Like, I teared up a few times, honestly, Aww. because the storytelling <laughs> was so effective, in my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's that's just a very basic way to go over it. Do you guys want to touch on things and then start to get into spoilers and ratings? Yeah, let, let's talk briefly about the, the side characters. Like... We have the cutesy baby, we have the big burly man, and the the sly kid, I guess you would call him. Like the, the, the boat the boat captain. The charmer, yeah. The hustler, yeah. Yeah. I was worried I would be annoyed by especially the baby, I think we talked about in the trailer. And I think for the most part they all work. Mm -hmm. They don't have anything huge to do, but I was really impressed with the shrimp captain man. He <laughs> he was fun. Well they give all of them like just enough emotional baggage that it doesn't take away from the seriousness of Raya's yeah. journey, but it also gives them stake in the game as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I thought they they hit the perfect balance of comedic relief and emotional impact. Yeah. I think I might differ from you a little bit on Aquafina as the dragon. Like, I was a little worried from the trailer, but I don't think I got, like, over 70% approval rate with her, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> Do you like Aquafina? Let's start there. <laughs> I guess not really. I haven't yeah, seen a whole lot of her stuff. Um, but even in terms of like character character building, like the story gets so serious at points, and her her character is deliberately naive. Combine that with the awkward humor, it it never quite gelled with me. It was like instead of peanut butter and jelly, it was peanut butter and Nutella, and that's just like it's two sticky things. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this analogy. I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> basically, it didn't work for you, and I actually agree a little bit. Again, there's no major flaws with this movie, but if we're gonna get into what I don't think is like perfect or great, I don't really know much about Aquafina either. I'm not really familiar, but I think she was a weaker voice for me too, Nate. I'm I'm kind of with you. 
sometimes, like you said, when she's naive, there's a point where I'm like, come on, we, it, this is very clearly explained to you. Like you, you can't go forward and, and do this. You're, you're clearly not with the times. Like I see what you mean in terms of the fish out of water stuff. She's definitely naive when it comes to people, but Raya is naive when it comes to her culture, her cultures and the way that the dragons went about things too. So they kind of balance each other, in my opinion. I, I, I get not liking the actual voice work. Like, yeah, uh, I also I think that was a little bit bigger for me. I think they could have just picked a better voice actress, but there were parts of the dragon that didn't always work for me either. She's one of the biggest names in Asian acting right now, so they they wanted to go with her. I feel like, and you know, she brings the comedic relief. There were a couple times where I was getting nervous that it would go over the edge in terms of the modern day references, but I felt like there was a clear point where those kind of slowed down a little bit, at least. And I found a, a decent amount of what she was saying amusing. So. I thought she did. A, I thought she did a good job, and I'm I'm a fan of her. So, take that for what it will. All right, let's get into ratings here. If you're just joining us for the first time, the middle seats operates on the seat scale for our ratings. If we love a movie, we think it's pretty close to perfect. We don't have really any major flaws with it. We give it a royal throne. Plus, recliner is a step below that. It's a movie that's really great, but has some decent sized flaws. Wooden seat is a movie that's good with some glaring issues. Uh, the inverse of that, uh, damp lawn chair is a movie that's eh but has some good things about it. And then Sleazy Outhouse is a irredeemable piece of garbage, basically. And if we think a movie needs to be seen in the theaters, we give it a little check mark with a bag of popcorn uh, indicator next to it. So Jake, let's start with you. Rating and non-spoiler thoughts. This is an easy plush recliner bag of popcorn. It's really, really fun. It looks great. Um, it's an engaging story. Uh, you're interested the entire time. Where I like the story, I think the story stands out for me, is what they did with uh, the Namari character. Like, I, I think Moana's great, and it's a little more straightforward, but with Namari, this story becomes a little bit more layered and a little bit more interesting in terms of their lack of trust and their greed and what happens in society. I think all that was really interesting. There's something about it that's just, when I can't think of a word when I'm lacking the vocabulary, I just call it an oomph. And for me, it's lacking an oomph. There's something about it that <laughs> needed to just elevate it a little bit to stick with me a little bit more. So it doesn't quite reach the royal throne, but it's really good. I think everybody can watch it and have a good time. And uh, definitely high recommendation. Nate? Yeah, I, I still enjoyed this movie. Maybe I'm looking too fondly with my Avatar The Last Airbender eyes because there just are so many similarities. But this movie makes its own world. It lets you enjoy its characters. And I think it does a darn good job. I'm gonna go plush recliner, but it's not as solid as Jake's. Like, there's definitely a wooden skeleton underneath this, <laughs> but it has enough going for it that I'll that I'll give it the plush recliner and not be the negative Nelly that I have been the last couple weeks. <laughs> um, there's a rip in the arm, but it's still comfy. <laughs> yeah, the the one thing that I'll definitely elaborate on momentarily once we get into spoilers is that. I find it interesting that we're referring to this as a mature kids movie, which I agree with. For children, this is definitely a more mature movie. But I don't think the message is as adult-friendly and nuanced as, say, something like Inside Out does or some other uh, Disney movies that have come out in the last uh, couple of years. Wow, that's Pixar, too. I mean, they're they're on a whole other level. In terms I, of that. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Let me have this point. You have your own rating system. Yeah, I'll go I'll go plush recliner and definitely bag of popcorn if you had the opportunity to see this on a bigger screen and it's safe in your area. I was going to say, we didn't even mention, and that's on me because I'm supposed to do this in the setup. Bad Andrew. Bad Andrew. Um, 
you can buy access to Raya right now uh, with the Disney Plus premiere option. For $30, you could watch it at home. It is a movie worthy of that price tag, I guess, if any movie is worthy of that. I would go into the Royal Throne range for it. I think it was pretty excellent across the board. Um, But I do think the bag of popcorn indicator is very important if you do get a chance to see it in a theater and you feel comfortable seeing it in a theater because it is such an immersive adventure that deserves a big screen, the work that these animators did. Partially the great animation, but it's also partially what I found to be a very effective script, especially for the standards of a kid's movie. Um, And of course, Disney usually rises above the works of like DreamWorks, I guess Blue Sky, Rest in Peace, uh, Illumination (laughs) is another example. Disney's always been a tier above that, and then Pixar is usually a tier above them. But I think Disney is closing the gap here with some of these original works that they've doing. They've, They've had banger after banger over the last 15 years, and it's very encouraging to see. So now let's get into specifics. If you have not seen Ryan the Last Dragon, there actually is a decent amount, I think, to spoil here, so I would I would stay away. But if you have seen it, join us. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. So let's talk about the naivety point, because that was something I want to circle back around to. Because you two, you're characterizing it in one way, and I think I partially agree in one way, and then I completely don't agree with something specifically that Jake pointed out. Nate, do you want to start or do you want me to elaborate? Well, he called you out, so I guess you have to <laughs> you have to be first to fence him and then I'll I'll finish him off, Jake. <laughs> All right. For me, when you realize that this world is not the one that you know and you have the gift idea of, you know, oh, you have to bring a gift to a royal, you know, I guess not emperor, but whoever's ruling this part of the land, you're supposed to bring a gift. I get the idea. I get the notion. But... You've, we've already been over that. Raya and Sizu the dragon went over that. And why did, this is not the case anymore. And when she still doesn't get herself trapped, that's when I get just just a little bit. Just a little like... And I, I know it pays off in the end, and I think it pays off really well in the end. But in that moment, I was a little like, of of course you're being, you're being stubborn, now you got yourself trapped, and now we're in a big predicament. Well, yeah, Jake, you just made my point for me, I think, because she ends up being right. <laughs> She ends up being correct. But only in thing. that only in that scenario, not in the, the first one, just in the last one. Well, I mean, every situation has its own complexities, but she ends up being correct in the ultimate journey of it. You know what I mean? And that's like that's the lesson that Raya needs to learn from her. Because when she doesn't trust her in the movement with the Namari and trying to mend the bridges with Namari, she gets her killed. And they have to completely redux it and get over their differences later. So I don't, I don't know, because I feel like naivety is a weird way to put it because she ends up being correct in that specific form. Now, if you want to talk about like when she's going and paying for credit and stuff like that and just completely letting her guard down, that's another thing entirely. Yeah, my, my turn to step in then. I agree with you in that instance, Drew, that the whole point of the dragon character is to be trusting again. So obviously that's her core value. She isn't going to waver from that, even if it's frustrating uh, over the plot of the movie. But I think overall the movie's message is almost a little naive because the movie's essentially saying, if you want to fix things, you have to drop things and just openly trust everyone, right? 
At the end and of the day, that's what got them there in the first place. She was trusting, and then got stabbed in the back. Well, it's it's kind of like mending mending broken bridges, is the way I would put it. I get that. I get mm-hmm. that. I think what's frustrating for me as an adult watching this movie is that yes, that's a nice message for kids, but the movie even brings up multiple instances where people are taking advantage of trusting people, and there isn't really any sort of accountability there. The ruler of Fang openly is trying to uh, vouch for for awful things to happen to this world just because she doesn't want to take the blame for it. The the ruler of Talon actively mm-hmm. tries to kill Sisu um, right when Sisu and was threaten trusting. her. And like, how do you handle people that are actively trying to manipulate you because you're trusting? That's a good lesson for kids, too, of just how to handle those kinds of situations and this movie, like, that's too hard. So they just kind of push it off to the side for the happy ending at the end, you know? Because I agree. The ending is very effective. But like Nate said, there are other points in here where that's the real world. If, if you're overly trusting, you're, you're going to get burned at some point. Not to be the negative Nelly, but I do like what you said in the ending because it does wrap up really, really well. And I thought it was very impactful. And the burning the bridges is really great. I like that you said that. And also, like... Total dick move on Namari's part for blaming Raya that she brought a crossbow and shot the dragon. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was totally your fault that you shot her. To say it's both of our reason that the dragon's dead? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's You see it as naivety, the message. I see it as like hopeful and optimistic, I think, is a different way to look at it. Like It's the whole idea that maybe one day we could get to this point, and it's trying to educate kids from the ground up that... People should be forgiven for their mistakes and people should be forgiven. I understand the. I, apparently you wanted to see the leader of Fang executed in front of the... Oh, God, fr- no. Okay. No, <laughs> there's a difference between accountability and, like, atoning for your mistakes and then learning forgiveness for it versus just ignoring it all. Aside. Right, but is, that's that's the Isn't difference. there something to being the bigger person and... Rai's big line is taking the first yeah, step. being the bigger person in the moment... And then going back and circling back and saying, this still happened. My trust is broken. Yeah. Okay. I, we're not going to get to a point of agreement on this, I don't think. Yeah. Th- this is a film podcast, not a philosophy podcast. Yeah. I, I do think I do like that the movie very subtly mirrors how the dragons are unified through the dragon gem and everything. And how the humans are so not at that point, And they basically have to sacrifice themselves like the dragon did. It's a very... You know what it reminded me a lot? And I think just visually it's very similar to this. It's like the moment at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy where they all come together. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that now, up. It just, very visually. I mean, the orb is purple. That's purple. You know what I mean? The, the druid are purple. <laughs> Big dust cloud. I think I was just making the connection there. Mm-hmm. And I really like that Raya took that first step. I, I was not expecting that, and I thought that was powerful. Like if, and So in that moment, if you really want to show trust, I thought that was handled well when she's like, listen, we have to do this. We have to trust her to, you know, and each other to put these gems back, I will go first. And that sacrifice was big to me. I thought that was really, really big. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, one more down note, down note, and then I want to transition to like the more upbeat things that I liked. You guys talking about the mythicism and you wanted more from the world building. I think the movie finds different small scenes to effectively convey important points about this world. And I, I get what you're saying. You wanted to spend more time in each universe. I, I agree with that. But we only have so much time. There were some very somber moments that just hit me in a really interesting way. Like they're like the moment where they put the flowers in the water 
at, which is clearly a point of tribute for the lost. It's something that's important to this culture. There's another moment where uh, the people of Namari's clan are sprinting through the fields and they stop and they slowly walk through a dragon ruins ground. Mm, yeah, that was good. I thought that was a really quiet moment. She goes back and it's yeah, that deepens nice her moment. character because it shows you how important the dragons are to her and how important those legends are to her. Like stuff like that I found very effective in small doses, especially mm. when contrasted with like jokes about group chats and credit and stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think it's the the middle of the movie that feels the most rushed and that's what kind of was referencing at the very beginning of the segment. Yeah, like I was excited when they were going to Spine and then I feel like it was when it was just one scene I kind of went, "Oh, okay. I still know where they're going with this and I understand yeah, it, but Yeah, Spine we don't even see the village. We see the cabin within the village and that's our entire time in Spine. Yeah. Ah, uh, that's such a great scene though. I mean, the stuff with Benedict Wong's character and then the the face-off where she just like clinies to it opens the f- gate and she's just standing there with her. Oh sword. yeah, that was badass. <laughs> that's yeah. so right. That was a great scene. The action in this movie is awesome and it's diverse. There's great chases. There's great high speed chases. There's great things out on the water. There's great fighting off the druin and then the sword stuff. I think is the the best stuff. The action stuff is super stylized and I love every second of it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> love every second of it. Big positive yeah. on that. Oh, I got I got big chills when she was walking towards the temple to confront Namari at the end. We talked about that in the trailer too and it's like, yeah, yeah that, that moment is pure badass and it stays that way in the movie too, which is great. Yeah. You know what we haven't talked about really is how good Kelly Marie Tran is as Raya. I thought she did yeah. a great job and I really liked the character of Raya as a whole. Like I really enjoyed spending time with her. Fun fact, she was not the original choice for the role. Um, well, I'm glad she got it after all that hate she got after Last Jedi. The, the character is supposed to be played by uh, an actress named uh, Cassie Steele, who I believe is best known for playing Tammy on Rick and Morty, of all things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she was she replaced her, and it's definitely a better fit, I think. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what Cassie Steele did, I guess, but like... Kelly Marie Tran is Raya immediately. Yeah. Just really fun lead, really charismatic lead. Uh, another good figurehead for kids. I'm glad we didn't have a puppy-sized mascot this time around. I really <laughs> like Tuk Tuk. I, I love Tuk Tuk. was great. Yeah, he I was liked great. Him. Alan Tudyk doing the voices again. Good Lord. Yeah. Getting that residual check. Yeah, such nice easy paycheck for him. <laughs> we haven't really talked about Raya's relationship with her father, which is such a big part of the movie. I don't think we've really, really nice mentioned too. him at all. Daniel Day Kim yeah. does the voice of Chief Benja, aka she calls him Ba, uh, and it's very clear that he drives a lot of her emotional catharsis and emotional angst. He's the voice in her head to tell her to keep trying to find a connection between the people that can bring them together. Uh, and I found in his limited screen time, he did a really good job with making an impact that's important for the rest of the movie. And his stew metaphor, though, is not the first time I've seen it, was really nice for this movie and effective for this movie as well. You know, I don't have stew, but that looked good. <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> I'd try that. All all the Twitter comments and Reddit comments I've seen are just, just how realistic <laughs> that soup looks. <laughs> you could yes. basically just put that on a cooking show and yeah. not know that the frame is any different. <laughs> I think he is the most photorealized of all the characters. Like, he looks like a real person. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes where they take the soft focus in the background, so it really highlights the detail in the animation. And it's like, that's that's a guy. They just they just shot a guy. <laughs> do, you, do you think his character model has pores? Like, skin pores? <laughs> I wouldn't be that's surprised. I, I would not be surprised. I think 
I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like Joe Gardner did for Soul, so why not for this too? I mean, mm-hmm. crazy sauce. <laughs> uh, all right, I think I'm running out of major things to top about, talk about. I think there's a lot I could say more about this, but I've hit all my big points. So, Nate, you start with final thoughts. This movie has a lot going for it, and it's easy to just get on the Disney hate train and just say like, "You've been too good for too long." I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock down your movie, and that's not the case here. This movie definitely earns its keep. I really like this setting. I really like these characters, even the ones I thought were going to annoy me. <laughs> um, and for the most part, this movie sticks its landing and does a darn good job. I think this is a really good movie for kids. I just wish it had, to quote Jake's, little extra oomph to give <laughs> the message next. a little bit more meaning for adults. Because I won't back down on this part, Drew. I do think that the moral is still a little too naive for today's world, and I would have appreciated just a little extra something there, or maybe just some character sacrifice, just to not have the cop-out Disney ending where everyone comes back to life and everything's happy hunky-dory. But we take what we can get. This movie is a good ride, um, and definitely worth your time. You know, I called you a real gem of a guy earlier, and for you to be this cynical is disappointing, Nate, I gotta say. He's not mad. It's been a very long 2020. (laughs) Uh, uh, Jake, final final thoughts on Ryan the last (laughs) year. I wasn't as frustrated uh, with the message as Nate was, but I I agree. I like the message of trust, and I think the audience is generally going to be young kids, and I think it's important to get those messages to them. But I also kind of remember thinking, oh, that's nice in their fantasy world. Like, that's just, you know, if if somebody's going to stab you in the back, you're going to remember that. It's nice to build bridges, but... Yeah. But yeah, generally speaking, this is a really good movie. It's really fun. I like so much about it. And it's another worthy entry into Disney's original film content. Uh, and I'd be, I don't always say this, but I'd be okay with a sequel. I really like this, this world that they brought in. I really like these characters. And if it did well enough, I would be open to, to seeing a sequel. I think it's really, really good. And it's worthy for basically anybody who's interested, you know. And Disney just keeps setting the bar. Another really good story. Amazing graphics. Really well-written characters, outstanding choreography, just top to bottom, really, really solid stuff. Just minor things for me as far as flaws go. It's going to be hard to quantify specifically how this is a success because there's no monetary way to count it right now. I hope Disney is not stupid enough to look at the box office numbers. I hope they mix in a little bit of the streaming service numbers not even talking about this $30 access, like how many people are watching it when it's free on Disney Plus in May. Yeah. I, I, I kind of hinted at this at the beginning. I think a TV show would be a good way to go um, because it allow, be cool. it gets it gives you guys what you want where it develops the world a little bit. The only thing is I don't know if you could get the A-list talent back. I don't know if Kelly Marie Tran and Aquafina mm-hmm. would come back for that. Um, and you also need a good enough conflict now that you've already saved the world <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking that at the end yeah it could it could be a number of side quests i'm sure what they would do is they would go oh a new tribe has come in from across the water and yada yada, yada. i that's a that's a problem for another day we're talking about the origin story of ryan the last dragon i felt this was terrific i love this movie like i said royal throne for me uh if we're talking disney pantheon like i said i feel comfortable saying this it's probably a do- top 10 disney movie for me I don't know how high I'll go with it beyond that, but it is certainly in that upper echelon and that has been populated by a lot of the more recent Disney animation, the second renaissance they've had. It's Frozen, Wreck-It Ralph, Moana, and now Ryan the Last Dragon. Uh, I think it sets out to do what it wants to do and accomplishes it incredibly well. 
I hope Disney continues to tell stories like this. I'm pretty yeah. hopeful for their next movie coming out this year, and I believe it's called Encanto. So just giving us these different cultures and telling these different stories. That one's going to be a musical. This one was not, and I don't think it needed music at all. I think this was a really effective, emotional, and dynamic movie for me, and I absolutely recommend it for pretty much anybody that is it above the age of five because I think it, there is an age where it's too young in this department for you to get the full impact out of it. Like I wouldn't recommend this to a two-year-old who watches Frozen um, because it definitely has more to it than that. But I would absolutely recommend it to everybody else. So that's Raya and the Last Dragon, and that will do it for this episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast. Before we go, Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the thing known as the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. We talked a lot about Oscar noms earlier in the show. Uh, this is your catch-up time, Middle Seats listener. Watch these movies. Uh, we've reviewed two of them, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, we've also reviewed Nomadland. Uh, self-plug, I've probably written a review, I would say, of all of them except for The Father and Mank. So uh, hit me up if you want to read those. Uh, we've got more stuff coming in the future. Uh, it is likely that in some way or another we are going to be talking about the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Uh... It's a matter of what the format will be. Uh, we will definitely be talking about Godzilla vs. Kong when that comes out, so keep an eye out for all of that great content coming. That will do it for us. For Jake Hensler and Nate Lungarini, I'm Andrew Ogier. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.